teachers encounter many different types of parents. There was the hardworking parent who worked two jobs just to hold things down at home. They were so busy or exhausted from the hustle that they often didn't have time or energy to go over their kids' homework. And when I was a teacher, there were also parents who were involved with everything. They brought cupcakes around unannounced just for fun. One parent even brought their own Santa impersonator during Christmas time, which also made things super awkward for my Jehovah Witness students. But along that involved or not involved spectrum, one fact is evidence-based and solid. The kids whose parents do the homework with them, they are much more likely to do well in school. As you are about to learn, magical things happen when parents take part in their kids' mental health and substance use treatment too. The results of family involvement are so big that many centers won't treat a kid unless the parents are willing to do the work too. Today, we are unpacking family involvement and how it can be the linchpin to teens and young adults getting better. I'm Clint Malley. And I'm Lindsay Bass. And this is Real Common Treatable, where we talk about overcoming mental health and addiction challenges in simple, everyday language. Okay, you have to meet our experts for this topic, Ryan Bright and Dana Slowinski. Hi, I'm Ryan Bright. I'm the co-founder and co-owner of the Family Recovery Centers, which is an intensive outpatient program for adolescents and their families. And we're located around Chicagoland in many suburbs, Hoffman Estates, Lake Bluff, and St. Charles. Hi, I'm Dana Slowinski, and I am also co-owner and co-founder with Ryan of Family Recovery Centers. So Ryan and Dana were out to make the world a better place, specifically for adolescents, teens, and young adults. But as Dana explains, there was a problem. We were seeing the adolescents, we were working on skills, they were doing their own work, and then they'd go right back into that environment, and the environment wasn't changing. So then we thought, okay, how do we actually get that environment to change? How do we make you know change within the system? And so that's when we developed Family Recovery Centers and the Intensive Outpatient Program and looked at the parents coming in and actually doing their own work too. So it's really important for that family and, and the parents to be involved in that process. Did you catch that intensive outpatient programming thing? Yeah, sometimes people call that IOP for short. The cool thing about IOP is that it's a lot of support up to 20 hours per week, but it's also after school or work so that parents and kids can be together. So parents are actually on site with their child two of the four evenings. So they're learning skills right along with their child. And then they're also doing their own work. So we're really, we really want to try to incorporate and work on that family system and the dynamics within um, the roles of the parents, the role of the child. So we're looking at the whole system um, rather than just that adolescent that's coming into treatment. You may be thinking, but is it really that important for parents to be involved? Like what's the data behind that? I'll let Rianne tell you that straight up. We have found is 100% of our kids who have successfully completed our program had one or both parents or guardians involved. And that's been true for 12 years that we've been open. That's a pretty good reason, right? I mean, 100% over 12 years is no joke. But I was curious. I mean, they had to have encountered some parents who just wanted to drop their kids off and get the results. So I asked if they had ever encountered any parents with the fix my kid mindset and what they did about it. 
Yes. But we have seen that stigma where they come in and they say, okay, here's my child fix. And we're like, no, come on in too. You're doing the work too. And I think it's important. We really work from the get-go. So day one, when we talk to the parent on the phone, all the way till when they're walking in our office on commitment strategies. So we're really saying, okay, we have to get you to buy into this and to commit to this. So what are some, what are the logistical barriers? Let's talk about barriers. How do we help you decrease those barriers so that you can you know, participate in treatment. And a lot of times it might be that we have to meet them in the middle too. So we might have one parent attend one evening, another parent attend a different evening, or we might have on Zoom uh, with us rather than in person because they have other kids at home or they have obviously a job and all of those things. So we really work with them on commitment from ground running to get them to understand their the importance of them being involved. Okay, so we have some compromise, but any parent can tell you that How a kid acts at school or therapy is only really part of the equation. It's only half the battle. What about when they get home? I think what's awesome is we are a DBT-based program. That's dialectical behavioral therapy, and it's awesome. We have a whole episode just on that you can find linked up in the show notes. Ryan gives us a brief recap here. We have five modules of DBT that we use for people who aren't aware. They're uh, mindfulness, so just being present in the moment. That really has helped with what you talked about, Lindsay, the impulsivity piece, distress tolerance, emotional regulation, interpersonal effectiveness, and a, a neat one that is for adolescents specifically is walking the middle path, which really helps with the black and white thinking that tends to come up a lot when people become emotionally dysregulated. So we follow very closely to the DBT model, which is helpful. Dana said not only with the Commitment strategies, we also offer 24-hour phone coaching, not only for the adolescent, but the parents. And I think if we probably looked really hard, I think the parents reach out more for that in vivo skills coaching, like how to for them to get themselves regulated in the moment and not react to their child because uh, they they have stigma against their child's mental health or exhaustion just because they've been in, in and out of treatment so long with their child. So really helping them through and how they can react better to the child as well when so that everybody doesn't become so dysregulated and things blow up in the moment. Jargon alert. Did you catch that word? Dysregulation. Yeah. What does that mean? So we talk about it like a wave of emotion, right? And it's probably basic to anyone that does have that DBT background, but we look at emotions come up and they go down. And so when they're dysregulated, when someone, when we all are dysregulated, it's we're at that height and there's just, it's, there, we're triggered beyond belief. There's not a lot that can really bring us down. We can't, we don't, we're not doing any problem solving in that moment. We're really just fight or flight. We're really, we're either engaging in maladaptive behaviors or we're internalizing. We're, we're, we're not able to do much in that moment, but we know that emotions always come down. And so the idea of dysregulation is using skills in that moment to get to a point where the emotion comes down so that we can problem solve and we can be effective in communication. Story time. This all sounds good, but I wanted like a real life story of how this worked in reality. I think a big one that happens a lot is in the car. When we have asked them to just table everything until the next treatment night. And the minute they get in the car, they start trying to unravel everything that was discussed in multifamily group. And so then the teen threatens to jump out of the car or start grabs starts shaking mom's seat or kicking the seat or threatening to kick out that sort of thing. So they would call, they call our on-call. One of our clinicians or groups with them answers. And we try to de-escalate the situation quickly. So our 
clinicians really want to assess for safety. Is threatening to jump out of a car is serious, and we first assess for the safety. And then it's, what skills have you tried? I've tried none. I have no skills. I, I can't believe she would bring it up in the car. So really getting them to talk about what skills could you use? And then they go through whatever they feel that would be helpful for them, ones that have been helpful in the past. And then they implement them and then they call back 30 minutes or top. Sometimes, most times we call them back to check in to see how the situation is going. And sometimes that's just the adolescent. Sometimes it's the parent. Sometimes it's both, depending on who's willing to talk and who's willing to implement skills in that moment. If you're a parent with a kid who is struggling with addiction or mental health, you might feel super isolated. Maybe you don't feel comfortable bringing it up with the other parents because you don't want them to judge you or your kid. I mean, what's the point of bringing it up if they can't relate or even help out? And maybe all of this involvement feels like work, like just another thing to do on that huge task list you already have. First, that makes sense. You are busy, probably stressed too. But what you may not be thinking about is how much this family therapy process could also take off of your shoulders. It shows you that you are not alone. One of the ways this works is through parents and multifamily group, where parents get to see that their situation is not as unique as they may think. Yeah, and I think also the idea of parents being together in the therapy room, so they have the support of other parents, and the kids obviously have the support of other kids. I think that gives them a renewed sense of energy too, that they come in knowing, feeling drained and feeling like they are alone in this process. And then to see that other parents maybe are farther along than they are in the process and saying, I, we were there and we understand. I think that really gives them that renewed kind of energy of, okay, we can do this. We have hope, which I think that hope is key to like sustained treatment, you know, outcomes, positive outcomes. So you're like, what does a typical evening look like? Well, it's kind of broken into four parts. When we come back, we are going to break down each of those four parts. This podcast is brought to you by Sandstone Care. They provide age-specific mental health and substance abuse treatment for teens and young adults. And like Ryan and Dana, family therapy is also a big part of their treatment process. They provide a full continuum of care from residential inpatient treatment to outpatient treatment and everything in between. Go to sandstonecare.com or give them a call using the number in the show notes. You'll talk to a real human who will get to know you, your specific situation, and connect you with the support that you need, even if it's not with them. Change is possible, and Sandstone Care is here to help. Number one is peer groups, where parents are with other parents and adolescents are with other adolescents, but everyone is learning the same skill. This is also called the didactic skills, which just is a fancy way to say direct instruction on a skill. First, let's talk about what kids group is like. And spoiler alert, it's all about skills. We do peers are together, parents are together, and that separately. And then multifamily is when all the families come together. I love the skills. I think they're so important because they're so concrete. And especially for adolescents, it's something that they can grab onto and say, okay, I can actually use this tomorrow at school rather than just doing the processing piece. So I think skills, it's didactic. We are, it's very, they're learning the skills didactically. And then we work throughout the program and incorporating them. So we also do a lot of experiential 
type therapies with them. So they might do art therapy to incorporate that didactic skill throughout the week. Or we do yoga therapy, different mindfulness and meditations just to be able to really connect the didactic skill to their own life. Can I also address a thought that may have crossed your mind? If my kid is struggling with something, with them talking to other kids or young adults who are struggling to be a bad influence, if they use drugs, what if they get access to more drugs through a connection they had in therapy? Well, that social aspect of therapy, it doesn't really work like that. Instead, it kind of becomes a glue that holds their recovery down. I think peer support and peer positive peer engagement is so important. And so we work within the, so within treatment, they're obviously with their peers, right? So we try to foster a a supportive kind of validating environment for them. And it's, it really is a cool process to see that adolescents hold each other accountable. But I think outside of treatment, it's even more important to create that positive environment with peers, not just, this can be so isolating if they don't have that, that I think that can affect their mental health just as much as what's going on for them. So I think we work, we work very closely with schools. We work very closely with community, other community organizations and partners so that we can help create some other positive influence around that peer support for them. What about parents? What's going on in the parent process group? The emphasis in this group is how are you doing? Meaning you as a parent, not your kid, you. I think also in the the parent process group, something that we see is that initially when they first start with us, they want to just talk about their child. So they want to talk about what their child's doing. What are the behaviors? What, how do we change it? And we, I typically, when I run a parent group, I say, okay, we're going to, we're not even going to say your child's name. We're not going to talk about your child. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about what's going on for you. What's your diet? What are you struggling with? And let's get, let's make some change there. Let's accept what you need to accept. And then we can bring your child back into the equation. All right. Part two is the multi-family group where everybody comes together. Oftentimes, you might feel alone with your kid and their struggles. You don't want to bring this up to other parents because, you know, what if they judge you or what if they think about your kid differently? Also, if their kid isn't struggling like yours, what advice could they even give? However, this is something beautiful about sharing a space with other families who have a common struggle. And the next step would be then bringing that to multifamily to discuss as a family. So the hope is that in parent group, the parents processing the issue at hand, whatever that might be, and I say issue lightly, as well as the, the child, and then they're coming together. And it's the support of all the other parents. And what's nice is our program is longer than I think every IOP, but it's a minimum of about 15 weeks. So some families have been there for 15 weeks and some it's their first night. So having that array of experience in our program and knowing, hey, this is what worked for us or here, this did not work for us. Or we had that same thing come up and we trusted that you just have to trust the process. And I think it's similar to most things in life when you have validation and feel supported and like you're not alone in it, it helps you to accept your situation a little easier, and then start to facilitate some change. And one more thing, you can't control kids. You cannot control anyone, really. Sure, you can make someone's life difficult, but you can't make anyone do anything. As Dana talks about, this can actually be a freeing thought. All you can do is manage yourself and your response. 
Yeah. So I think we start with, let's talk about you, right? So that you can, we can figure out where your thermostat, so to speak, is at. So if we talk a lot about a transactional approach, so, or a transactional relationship. So the kids might be triggering the parents, but then the parents are, so they're already triggered. And then they're reacting from that triggering place rather than from, I I always say, we want the parents to be on the ground while the kids go on the roller coaster. We want to try to remain on the ground, but also parents have emotions, right? We all have emotions and we want to model those emotions for our kids. So we want to be able to say, okay, I, I can manage my emotions. I can help support you. And I know as a parent that my kids are not always going to make the right decision. And I think there's a level of acceptance there that parents really need to embrace that I think and letting go of that control. We have to let go of control and embrace some acceptance that kids are going to make mistakes. And that's actually an awesome opportunity to learn and to grow. And we want them to make mistakes. We just don't want them to hurt themselves. We don't want them to be that that maladaptive or you know, pathological, so to speak. So I think it's really that kind of finding that balance. Last, outside of the evening group sessions is part three. This is where there might be some individual work with just the kid and the therapist or some family work with just one family and a therapist. All right, let's talk time. If I go to therapy with my family for a couple hours a week, will things get sorted out? I guess my quick answer to that is that I think the commitment is more than outside of the therapy room, right? It's doing the work that you're learning in the therapy room outside of it. But for for our program, for example, it's they're on site six hours a week. So it is, it's intensive. And typically, again, we work with them. We try to find that middle ground of what works for your family and knowing that's that is a an important thing right from the get-go that parents are involved then they step down from us into family maybe individual family therapy which could be one hour a week but then again if i if i'm doing family therapy i'm really wanting them to commit to outside of that therapy session doing that work as a family as well it's not just that hour that they're with us i want to end today's episode with some hope I want you to understand that change is possible, that even though things might seem super grim and you can't see a way out of this right now, that there are turnaround stories of real families happening every day. Let's start with a favorite story of Rianne's. I can speak personally as someone that Dana and I both worked with in our young adult DBT skills group, and I saw individually twice a week. She began... uh, real treatment. She went to residential, a DBT residential. She was kicked out of her university and lost her full ride because of her mental health issues. And it wasn't because of the issues. I should rephrase that. It was because of her behavior and and her lack of being interpersonally effective in almost all relationships. She was also very extreme self-injurer. She very suicidal, had many attempts, even when inpatient had several attempts. And through the use and the daily, and she speaks to this till this day that there isn't a day, sometimes an hour that goes by that she isn't pulling from her DBT skills that she's learned over time. And they've changed for her. What used to work now doesn't work. So she, she's even had to make some changes for herself. And now I think she's been self injury free for 10 years. She has a full time job. She went, got back into school and got her degree from a very prestigious school and is working full-time and has been sober for five years and has not had a suicide attempt in, I would say, eight or nine. All right, Dana, you're up. 
I think a family that sticks out for me more most recently is a family coming in, the whole family coming in resistant, right? Resistant to this working. We've been through other, we've been through all different levels of care. Just this, what's going to change? What, and I think from day one, they just, they went through the motions, but they weren't in it. And then we really started chipping away at this is step by step. It's not, you're not going to see big change tomorrow. That's true, but we got to keep working on it. And they were with us, I believe, about... 20 weeks and I can and then we recently just talked to dad and they are the parents are the ones leading the parent process groups by the end the kid was leading a mindfulness group for his peers they really had turned a corner and said you know what we're going to accept that we are where we are and we need to dig in and do the work and it's really cool to see that light bulb you know go on when they actually want to make change when they're willing and they've graduated the program and they are the child is out of has been out of treatment now has a ton of support outside but has not been in a higher level of care since so that's that's a positive as well listen y'all i get it having a teen or young adult who is struggling with mental health substance use or self-harm that's real but it's also more common than you think and most of all it's treatable All my love, and I'll see you on the next episode.